I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 John. They're called the epistles because they are the recording of the disciples as they gave the message that was given to them by the Holy Spirit. And during the Advent season, we have been looking at this beautiful idea of Christmas in the Bible. We started with Christmas in, this, in, in, Gen, in Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, where God made the first promise of his coming. Then we went to Deuteronomy, where we watched how in the fear, and I mentioned, don't ever forget this, that every place in the Bible where the story of Christmas is recorded is a deep, dark, difficult period. Every place. Right in the middle of hopelessness, God gave hope. This is what Christmas is all about. And so we went from uh, Deuteronomy, where God promised when Israel was afraid to look at God, he promised that he would send one like themselves from among them. And we trace that to the Lord Jesus. And then we looked at Micah. There, God precisely predicted the exact place where Jesus would be born and how Caesar, thinking that he had control of the universe, when he gave the edict that every man should go to his own town to uh, register, little did he know that God was moving him in the decision he was making. And I want to remind you again that whatever decisions might come from 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, remember that God is in charge. That the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord as the waters are, and he turns it wherever he wills. I can't always explain the providence of God, but I am thankful that it exists. Because in the providence of God, God takes what seems to be just juxtaposed to you and me, and he brings something good from it. This morning, we want to look at Christmas in the epistles. And I ask your attention again to 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 to 8. 1 John 3, 4 to 8. The word of God. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared. That's, that's Christmas in the epistles. He appeared. The word literally is manifested. Unveiled. Uncover. Before Christmas, the world was in darkness as we talked about last night. So, we know that he appeared, and he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him is no sin. No one who abides in him sins, no one who sins seen him or known him. Little children, make sure that no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. And here's the text. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared. There it is again. Or manifested. He appeared for this purpose, that he would destroy the works of the devil. Father, may these few moments that we take in your word 
open our eyes and our minds and our understanding to truths we never considered before so that we would be transformed by the truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Those who are bent on destroying the scriptures or being critical of the scriptures will make statements like this. How come there is no record of the incarnation in the epistles? We don't have the story of the birth of Jesus, going of Mary and Joseph. And, and what I want to suggest to you is what I believe the Bible teaches about the whole business, if you please, of Christmas. In the Old Testament, Christmas is anticipated. In the Old Testament. In the Gospels, Christmas is activated. And in the epistles... Christmas is validated. It was anticipated in the Old Testament. It was activated in the, in, in the Gospels. And it is validated in the epistles. So when the epistles speak of Christmas, they speak about the effect. You notice John began by saying, no one who is in him sins because Christmas came as a result that he might do something about sins. You remember Matthew 1.18? 23, I mean, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from sin. So Christmas has to do with something specifically, not only with God, but with you and me. God saw us in our plight. And I want to spend the next few minutes, and I will watch the clock, so that I will have good standing with all the children from here on. Uh, we think in terms of Christmas, John begins by giving the testimony about Christmas, validating Christmas. If you look at 1 John chapter 1, listen to what John says. 1 John chapter 1, just a few pages back. That are what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked upon and touched with our hands. Concerning the word of life, and the life appeared, or the life was manifested. John is saying that he was an eyewitness of Christmas, in the sense of the one who was born on that day. Listen to what he says in John 1.14. We have seen his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. The word was made flesh and we saw it. And John said this. Not only did we see him. Not only were we eyewitnesses of Christmas. The one of whom Christmas is all about. The central figure. We touched him. John even had the audacity at the communion table to lay upon the Savior's breast or, or shoulder. John is not writing something that he picked up on the way. He's not writing a story that came from a man to a man to a man. John is not reading history as you and I will do to find out what happened in the past. John said, I was there. I saw when he turned the water into wine and displayed his glory. I am telling you what I have seen. I was truly 
a witness. I was self-seeing. That's what the word witness means. Peter says the same thing. We were self-seeing when we tell you of the majesty of Jesus. You know, if Jesus was simply born, we wouldn't have this story. You've got to go back into the rest of the story to get what was, what was happening. May I just say a few minutes? When the kids were getting their story, as Natalie was telling them, they were mesmerized by the story. And you know what I wish I was able to do? I wish I were able to go around and see what your minds were thinking. See, because the older we are, the more difficult it is for us to have a sense of wonder. Children are, are mesmerized by stories. But you and I are, how long will this stay? <laughs> you and I are, are, are ahead of the story. As, as Natalie is reading, you are going somewhere. Aha, I've heard that story before. I know, what's gonna, I know, what's, I know how it's going to end. Have you ever been to the, to, the, to the theater and you sit beside someone who tells you the whole movie while you're watching it? That you love those people? John is not getting this story from anybody else. He was there. <laughs> he saw it. The song says, Mary, do you know that when you kiss the face of your babe, you're kissing the face of God? Well, John not only kissed the face, Mary did not only kiss, John touched. He touched his flesh. He saw him in his incarnate state, and he said, that which was from the beginning, we have seen it. And so, my friends, we don't have a, a story. Peter said, this is not old wives' tales. This is not fables. This is reality. That in a space-time situation, God invaded human darkness in the person of his son who came as a babe in the womb of Mary. The coming of our Lord Jesus has been eyewitnessed by people who saw it. You know, we read the story of Julius Caesar and so on, and we believe it. And we have little or no proof of some of the things that are recorded, but we're not willing to take the eyewitnesses who said we saw him. We saw him with our eyes. We really saw him. And I want to drive this home this morning that Christmas is not a story simply. Christmas is an event. In fact, I found myself, and you will, by now you know me, I look for ways to, to, to singularize this. I don't even speak, and there's nothing wrong with it now. Please get me, don't get me wrong. I don't even talk about the birth of Jesus anymore. Because for people, birth does not mean the same thing that happened with Jesus. Jesus was incarnated. That means that there was a uniqueness about his coming in. He didn't come like every other baby is born, but he came as a babe. The power of the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, and everything that pregnancy involves took place in a mysterious way, that ended up with the birth of Christ. John said we saw it. But I want to quickly move to what I call not only 
Not only do I want to look at the testimony of the witness, but I want you to see the thrill, the thrill of the witness. John said, that which we have seen, which was before the creation of the world, that which came into the world, get the sense of the wonder that must have been in the voice of John as he was telling this, as he was writing this. In John chapter 1, verse 18, he says, No man has seen God at any time, but we beheld the God who came into the world as his son. And we are telling you about him. We, we, we have the sense of wonder. If no man has seen God at any time, what it must have been like for John to see Jesus walking on water, to see Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, because each of these events expressed to man the nature, the dignity, and the transcendence of Jesus into time. <laughs> I, I will never forget the, the sense. Lois and I were in New York City, and, and we were walking down Fifth Avenue, and in those days I... We were traveling a lot, and uh, as we were walking by, Lois said, look, and it was a movie star. So I said, okay. So, Aren't you going to get a picture? I said, why? And she bugged me until I had to go and get the picture of this movie star. So what I did... I ran ahead, and then I walked toward the movie star. Instead of running ahead from behind him, I said, can I have a picture of you, please? So I ran ahead, and as he was coming down, I tried to, you know, look nonchalant, and I took <laughs> the picture of the movie star. So we got home. We're going to celebrate this now. There was no film in the camera. <laughs> it wasn't planned. It wasn't planned. Oh, my. But, but we, we have this sense. Look, we see him on the screen. And we're, we saw him. We can tell you. We did. And it was he. Like he just died a couple, of year, couple of months ago. John is saying, we saw him. And we saw his glory. Listen. Whenever people saw the glory of God in the Old Testament, they fell on their faces. Whenever they saw the glory. And when the disciples saw the glory of Jesus, when he stilled the storm, they said, what kind of a man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? When the shepherds told the story of what's been told to them by the, by the, the angels, you know what we read in Luke chapter 2? They all wondered, wondered to be held. Their minds were held captive to what was being seen because God gave up his privacy to be revealed on earth to man. And they said, what kind of a man is this? The thrill of wonder. I wonder, my friends, if we have missed all that because we have been celebrating Christmas for 20 years, 
for 30 years, for 40 years, and we know what it's all about. I don't mean to be funny, but I read the story and I read it. This grandmother who was getting sick and tired of having to buy gifts for every, all the children. So she decided this one Christmas she was going to send money. So she got all the cards, wrote her little note to the kids, and then she sealed the cards. And in the, car, in the, in the card, she had the, 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 uh, the note, buy your own gift. She was going to put the money in, but she forgot to put the money in. <laughs> I wonder if we're going to make the mistake of forgetting the one that the story is all about. So the wonder is not there. We have lost it. And my friends, if there's a day, if there is a day when the wonder of the birth, the incarnation, the coming of Christ into the world, when it ought to captivate you and me in this materialized, secularized society in which we live, it is today. We need to recapture the wonder. Well, quickly and lastly, the triumph of Christmas. Verse 8 again, John said this, No man who has seen God, who relates to God, practices sin. Didn't say doesn't sin. Unfortunate translation of the King James translation. He doesn't practice sin. Whenever that man or woman falls, they come to the conclusion, oh God, I have failed you. I am sorry. Forgive me. And the scripture says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess he is faithful just to forgive us and to cleanse us. So that's not what it's talking about here. What John is saying this, listen, in verse 5 and verse 8, he said, for this purpose, he appeared. Christmas. For this purpose, he came. You know, one of the things that some people could not stand, and please forgive me with this present administration, is that it, it never seemed to understand what it was involved in. If you ever fight a war without knowing what your enemy or who your enemy is, you're fighting a losing war. Jesus did not come to beat the air. There was a specific purpose for which he came. He knew why he was here. And when Peter tried to stop him from going to the cross, he said, Shall I not drink of the cup which my father has given to me? For this cause came I into the world. He knew the purpose of which he existed. That is important, friends. Because one of the things that is significant to you and me today is to have a sense of purpose. Is to have some, some sense of knowing why I am here. Jesus came with that purpose. He knew what was the motive for his coming. He knew how the whole design of Christmas revolved around two important events in his life, his birth and his resurrection. If he, if he is not virgin birth, he could not die for your sins and mine. He will be an ordinary sinner like you and me. If he was not raised from the dead, it meant that his sacrifice was not accepted. And so we would have no hope. But thanks be to God, he knew why he came. 
And he faced his disciples and he said, can any of you accuse me of sin? And not one could because there was no sin in him. And when he was raised from the dead, <laughs> I love this. Remember the two on the road to Emmaus? They were walking with their heads down. <laughs> and a stranger walked up to them and said, uh, what are you walking about looking so dead in the woods? My translation. <laughs> and then I love what they said. Are you only a stranger in Jerusalem and you don't know what has happened? You know what's, you know what's amusing about that? He's the only one who knew what happened. <laughs> the rest of them didn't really know. And you know how they were supposed to know? The scriptures, if they had believed it, they would have known that the whole point of the, of, of the death of Christ was part of the divine purpose of God. For this reason he came. And I, said Jesus, if I be lifted up, will draw all men to myself. Purpose. For this purpose he came. He knew why he was here. Let's look quickly at the triumph, the triumph of Christmas. He came to do this, to destroy the works of the devil. Please understand, my friends, that the idea of the existence of a devil is not some kind of a fairy tale made up to scare people. The devil is a real being. Jesus confronted him when he came. Jesus dealt with the devil from this standpoint. When the devil in the temptation said, if you, if, if you worship me, I'm going to give you this, Jesus said, be gone, Satan. He addressed him. C.S. Lewis puts it in another way. We do two terrible things when it comes to the devil in this age. Number one, we make too much of him. We talk about the devil as though he's transcendent. As though he's omnipotent. No, he's not. I I'm reading the book of Job right now, and it's interesting that the devil is accountable to God. He's not one who's roaming about. He is called the God of this world, but there's someone above him, beyond him. So he does exist. He's a real being. And he, he, he tries to trip our walk with God. He tells us certain things. You know, I was watching PBS special on Christmas the other night, and it was time for Sing Along. And they sang along about Rudolph, about Santa Claus, about White Christmas, and on and on, and not one, not one Christmas carol about Christ. Not one. And at the end of the program, as they were asking, <laughs> they said, please support PBS. That, and I thought, Christians, watch see PBS as well. And you're going to leave Christmas out and ask Christ Christians to support you so that you talk about white. I don't want to become political here. We'll just leave it like that. But it, it is. Christmas, my friends, is not about any of the other things. We love them. But Christmas has to do with a confrontation between light and darkness, between hope and hopelessness, between good and evil. Between sin and the Savior. 
For this purpose he came, that he might confront sin in all its ugliness. And even when he cried, if it's possible, take this cup away from me. It is because not of the dread of death, but the devilishness of sin. That's why he came. And who are the agents of the devil? Please listen to the words of Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 44. As he looked into the face of his accusers and said to them, you are of your fathers, the devil. You and I, my friends, Paul said, we all lived under the control of the devil before we became Christians. We lied. We hate. We, we, we do all the things that, that make us ashamed at times. And listen, for this cause, Jesus was born. Your forgiveness your release from guilt has to do with the birth of Jesus. Had he not come, we would have no one to turn to when we fall, when we have the sense of failure. For this cause he came. So that in my time of disappointment with myself, I can find hope in him. You wouldn't know who Count Zinzendorf is. He wrote a song that I repeat almost every day. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are my glorious dress. Mid flaming worlds in these arrayed with joy shall I lift up my head. If you want a local interpretation of that is, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Why? Because in his coming, he came to destroy what Satan had made havoc in our lives, in our world. For this cause he came. And we're not simply going to celebrate what Christmas is all about in gifts giving, wonderful as it is. We're going to celebrate in the words, perhaps, of the songwriter again. As we, we, we sing it, but I don't know if we, we think about it. My sin, all oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear them no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Friends, I have done things that, that I am glad you are not going to know about. And if I am honest, you might do something that you're glad I don't know about. But see, this doesn't have to do with me or you. It has to do with God seeing us, just like he saw Adam and Eve fighting to get over their guilt, and he provided a covering for them. He has provided a Savior for us. He has provided someone to take care of everything that makes you ashamed, that makes me ashamed. He took care of it. Isn't that reason enough to rejoice? Isn't that reason enough to get excited about, to go tell it on the mountain? That Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me close with the words of the song we will be closing with this morning. Verse 3. No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. 
He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. I told the story last night of the Angola prison. And I asked John whether the, the Angola prison prisoners made this. And he wasn't too sure, but I, can, I was telling Lois, I didn't mention it last night, but you know what they did? The Angola prison, one of the worst prisons in the world, in 1995 was began, began to change as Bud Kane went into the Angola prison with his faith, his family, and a sense of the dignity of prisoners, even though they had failed, started a seminary, and today Angola prison is one of the safest prisons in the world because Jesus delivers. He destroyed the works of the devil and set these prisoners free. And those prisoners, when Billy Graham's wife died, those prisoners made the casket in which Ruth Graham was buried. That, my friend, is what Christmas is all about. Taking men and women down and out because of Satan destroying their lives. And even though they, 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 they killed and maimed people, they are free. Because that for which Jesus Christ came was experienced by them. And I trust that for you it will be a Merry Christmas because you are celebrating the coming of the sin destroyer, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus did not come on an excursion. He did not come in a sightseeing event. He made the whole world anyway. He came with a purpose. And the purpose was to undo what Satan had done. And I pray that each and every one of us this morning as we contemplate the wonder, might know the thrill of a forgiving God who does not hold our sins against us but destroy what Satan would want us to believe about our sins. Oh God, how thankful we are that Christmas is. And as long as Christmas is, we have a Savior. We thank you in his name. Amen.